Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select game Gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Some of us, longtime listeners, fellow friends, family, conspiracy realists, may indeed take tonight's episode as a sign from beyond, <laughs> right? Yeah, just so. Uh, we are, you know, in a bit of background, in an earlier episode, we explored the concept of what some would call, some being us, an internal conspiracy, the phenomenon or experience of hearing voices. And we want to take a moment and thank everyone who took the time to write in. Uh, this was clearly impactful for all of us here together tonight. And we teased an episode that we are delivering upon this evening, a related topic, the idea of what some would call a spiritual conspiracy. And funnily enough, uh, atheists and true believers alike would call this a spiritual conspiracy. It turns out that throughout human history, countless people have been called mad or have been worshipped, or anything in between, for insisting they have received communication from divine, supernatural, heavenly forces. Uh, and 
let's be honest, we live in the United States and in any large city in the United States, you're just like three to five blocks away from running into someone on the streets who tells you that God speaks to them. A lot of people who experience this live short, terrible lives, but a few of them driven by what, by what they saw as righteous cause fundamentally have changed the world. We're asking what is divine intervention. And this is, you know, this is clearly going to be a sensitive topic for a lot of people. Here are the facts. The first fact is a disclaimer. Right. I mean, it's something we say anytime we're talking about matters of faith, that um, your faith is your own. Our various interpretations of spirituality and faith are our own. And, you know, never the twain shall meet, I guess. At the very least, we are not trying to convince you or uh, in any way, you know, diminish your beliefs. This is a matter of research and just fascination for us. So please take it uh, in the spirit in which it was intended. Worth it. Yeah, there is. With that being said, there is at this point. No universally accepted, scientifically recognized proof of a higher power as portrayed in the majority of human spiritual belief systems. But to that point, there is solid evidence, in fact, that holding this idea of purpose, of community, of a greater good in the human mind can massively improve people's quality of life it can help you, uh, according to some of the research we found, it can help you live about four years longer wow. on average. I have often wished that I did uh, ascribe some kind of level of religious belief because I see it in others. I see it in others who use it uh, in, in the manner that you're describing, Ben, and, and they're very good people. They're people who... Think of others, you know, guided by principles oftentimes. Of course, there are those that use their spiritual beliefs as uh, something of a cudgel <laughs> against others. And I don't think anybody that listens to the show is probably cool with that. Um, and it's it's sort of a bummer to see that because it really does in some ways diminish the value of these kinds of spiritual beliefs. But I, I have often, you know, I grew up Methodist and I sort of, you know, abandoned that uh, type of belief uh, throughout the course of my life. Life, but there are times where I kind of wish that I, I hadn't and that I could believe that because I do see it in others. And I'm like, gosh, he seems so happy and content. Uh, I wish I had that. No, yeah. Lest I sound like a Philistine, uh, or I'm probably misusing the word, uh, lest I sound like an infidel or non believer, <laughs> Method Methodists are the sprinkle, sprinkle guys, right? Methodist sprinkle for baptism and. There's Baptist a sprink. Skunk. Okay. Yeah, I think that's right. There's a sprink. It's not the full submersion. Um, well, I don't know. There's different flavors of it. I seem to recall growing up that baptism wasn't as common. It's more of an event kind of. It doesn't seem – it's more about like they call it confirmation, I think, rather than mm -hmm. baptism. And I mm -hmm. think that's when you get the sprinkle. Matt, I don't know if, if you mm – -hmm. were you Methodist as well or were you more on the Baptist tip? Non-denom? Uh, all of the above, uh, mostly Methodist and non-denominational. Uh, but, but for the purposes of this episode, the whole point of uh, even even talking about religion is in this way is because humans, 
we like to organize things. We like to see patterns, especially when we look out into the world. It helps a lot, I think, for us to give meaning or reason behind life itself, mm -hmm. uh, both you know personally for ourselves and for uh, the actions we take every day and for our aims and goals, but also for the you know <laughs> purposes of uh, all the others around us that we care about, right? That we want to see again after they perish, the same way we will. Um, I, I don't know, and and I think so being, far, yeah. And I think being contacted by some force that is responsible for all of that, mm -hmm. you know, good stuff mm -hmm. would, could be seen as one of the most powerful things that could ever potentially happen to you. And in most of these belief systems, uh, to my understanding, at least, um, the fact that there is no scientifically kind of grounded proof of God is a feature, not a bug, because it requires you to have faith and to exercise this, like, I believe in what I cannot see in front of me. That's like an important part of being a follower of a lot of, uh, a lot of these faiths. The absence of proof being proof all its own. You know, there's there's also a strong possibility that the way science as a philosophy, a pursuit, and dare we say a religion itself is constructed, it may simply be incapable of proving or disproving certain aspects of spirituality. For instance, if humanity cannot define consciousness, which it can't, uh, how on earth does one begin to define a soul? Pardon the wordplay there. I, it's true. Everything you guys are saying is true. If you're, whether you are a dyed in the wool fundamentalist, whatever your denomination, your genre of belief may be, whether you're an occasional dabbler, what do they call it? Uh, you guys came up in Christianity with like Easter Sunday Christian, Easter Christmas Christian, something sure. like that. The people mm -hmm. who only show up on a couple of days of the year, wherever you are in the spectrum, even if you're a diehard atheist, we can all readily admit the search for this understanding of a nature of reality, this search for meaning, it has been the prime mover for human civilization or a prime mover, definitely a rationalization for the movement of empires since the dawn of time. And it's 2023, Friday, September 29th, as we record, and billions of humans across the planet right now do believe readily with certitude that there is some sort of celestial pantheon and order, a heavenly order to all reality. Like you were saying, Matt, the human mind prizes patterns, prizes predictability. It's the reason why uh, this primate <laughs> is the uh, most popular of the bunch so far. As a result, humans from the ancient past to the modern day believed and believe that not only their existence, but also their actions are in some way serving a greater purpose if those actions are good. Now, I, I do want to, for the atheists in the crowd, I do want to acknowledge this belief in God or the divine is kind of similar to sophisticated tool making. That might be offensive to some people, but if you look at the practice on the ground, the tendencies toward building sophisticated tools, uh, they're kind of one-to-one -one with the tendencies of building a uh, sophisticated religious ideology that happens to agree with whatever you want to do. 
I mean, and, and to that point, Ben, even like an atheist kind of uh, philosophy or perspective, you know, philosophy um, often crosses paths with spirituality. You know, we have folks that are like, well, not sure about God, but here's some ideas that sort of explain some of these things. And a lot of times, if you really dig deep into certain philosophers of the past, there is a certain mysticism even inherent in that kind of thinking. It's, you know, to your point about the pursuit of these types of answers, philosophy in and of itself, it's not science, but it's also not religion. It's its its own kind of cross-section of the two. I always found that very interesting. Yeah, and philosophy is kind of like the isolated biological father of science <laughs> in a lot of ways. And when you when you look toward the bleeding edges of modern science, again, here in 2023, as we're calling the calendar, what we see is that the, the guesses in uh, astrophysics and things that tackle the very large, the very small, like quantum physics, that becomes philosophy because there are, there's a relatively rarefied segment of the population that is even able to competently argue with that. And if you're a world expert, then your guess becomes a lot like <laughs> a lot like a religious screed. Uh, I I don't know. It's you know we, we talk about history quite often because history is never history really. And empires, countless empires, pretty much all empires, at some point claimed the approval of a god or a pantheon of gods. Countless wars have been fought with the approval of those divine forces. The implication was always that whomever opposes us is somehow moving against this greater good. These are power move, right? somehow infernal forces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and when you look at the history of civilization and empires, you often look at it very similarly to what we maybe see as modern day politics, where it's like, do you really believe this or are you just wielding it to exert control over the populace? Yeah, that's, that certainly feels real to me. <laughs> and rabble, 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 right? Uh, <laughs> same story always. Everyone Everyone believed there was some sort of greater reality. Everyone believed in the past that there was some sort of, to your point, Matt, some sort of order, an order that could be discerned. However, the problem was, historically, not everyone agreed on what this authority was, the specifics, the mechanics of this authority, and they didn't agree on what the authority wanted. So people from different cultures were often super duper offended when they met other cultures that did not share their specific beliefs. They were like, these guys, are they even human? Which is I, funny because how could they, you know what I mean? Like these things form in their own little vacuums. Um, it, it, it just doesn't really, you know, stand to reason that someone from a completely different part of the world at a time where there was no internet or quick means of communication would possibly have your exact same framework. The fact of the matter is, though, that there is no human culture that doesn't believe in the divine. And Ben, you put that in the outline. And while I maybe have internally understood that to see it kind of writ large and bold like that, I was like, Oh, I guess that's true. Huh. Sure. Even that's fascinating. Uh, 
even cultures that might be considered atheistic by their opponents have something like animism or have something like ancestor worship. And the problem grows more complicated as a result of that. You know, these belief systems were quite sophisticated and are quite sophisticated. And within their stories, these things contain all explanations for the natural world, as well as politically convenient explanations for why the group that follows the belief should sort of be in charge, right? Like, let's save the heathens. Let's save the savages. Let's convert the infidels. Let's bring them to a greater truth and take their blood and treasure along the way. Well, it it does make me think of the idea of like advanced, you know, civilizations like, you know, uh, like in the film um, Arrival, for example, or the idea of like other aliens, you know, civilizations that we don't know about. It almost feels like this stuff arises from a lack of knowledge. It arises from a lack of understanding and, and a suitably further advanced civilization might not even need this at all. Because they're already imbued with the, 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 the truths of the spheres and of the universe. So this is a stand-in for having answers at the end of the day, you know? Sure. And then uh, advanced civilization might well argue, many science fiction authors have argued that the closest you can get to divine intervention is the understanding of math. But story for another day, perhaps, uh, during, during times of religious persecution, which continue today, as you are listening to this, it is doubtlessly true that thousands of people are being killed because of um, conflicting religious beliefs. It's still exceedingly rare for people to suddenly give up these beliefs. We have to realize that people have been tortured you know, they've been forced to watch their own families degraded or executed. And and even then, billions of people, then as today, they have chosen to stay true to their religion. Now, science might explain this through the lens of sunk cost fallacy or social dynamics. But if we take the larger view, if we dare disturb the universe and move outside of the comfort zone, here, then what we see is that there is something so important, so defining, that in countless incidents, billions of people have chosen to die rather than to lose that part of their identity, which means that no matter what us listening, no matter what we may personally identify with, there is something profoundly important, fundamental about this belief in the divine. Yeah, and it can... It can change the course of war. It can change the leaders of an empire. Some divinely inspired message, you know, from God can change who's sitting on thrones. Uh, and there's there are countless examples of this where, you know, I, I'm just really quickly, guys, you point to the Bible, First uh, Kings in, I think it's chapter 19, where Elijah goes up and is hanging out on Mount Sinai alone and God comes to him and says, hey, go back down there. Uh, and appoint these specific people to these specific, <laughs> mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you know, posts. <laughs> posts yeah. yeah. And also, additionally, God says those people are going to kill uh, everybody who, you know, their predecessors did, weren't able fine. to kill. But it's fine. And, um, 
and then we'll we'll basically get a bunch more followers. Those who don't believe in Baal, mm-hmm. basically, or Baal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's a you then have to believe that Elijah actually talked to God up on the mountain to then institute massive political changes in a city or, or you know, felt in like cities. he did. But yeah. So, I mean, that's who, who knows. What was the golden calf story? The, 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 you know, group that was worshiping idols and then they were basically, you know, murdered. <laughs> you know? It was, uh, it was made by the Israelites and the, the idea apocryphal, the idea is that there were, it was a, it was a physical metallic construction yes, right. in which children were children or politically inconvenient people were sacrificed by being cooked alive in the thing. Um, and then Moses who makes an appearance in tonight's episode comes down and says, Hey guys, God said, that's not a good look. And, and you got to stop doing it. And they're like, do we have to stop killing people? He goes, eh, put a pin in that part. Main thing is we, we just can't do it with the cow anymore. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and also the d- divine inspiration, like being uh, c- touched and told to do something right. It's really fascinating to see how God makes appearances in what form, you know, a God takes to communicate things in the case of Elijah right there. It was basically uh, a storm that that appeared on the mountain and and talked to him. But then also was a bunch of wind and then was also a whisper in Elijah's ear. Ah, the quiet, still voice inside you. Yeah, the, we see the dilemmas inherent in this uh, just by comparing social dynamics, right, with uh, the, uh, the concept of the personal spiritual compass. By the inherent assumption, this is an axiom, for any divine intervention argument for the inherent assumption that a God or some gods exist, one could imagine if people were better, if they rolled better on diplomacy, they could talk it out. That's not, that's not the case, you know, despite the fact that all empires of the past had some sort of spiritual belief. That is a common thread, right? That is a common starting point. They disagreed vehemently about the specifics. If you're civilization A and you roll up and say, oh man, Zeus is dope. And people say, "Mm, Zeus is just some weird thing that you guys made up. We're, you know, we're... uh, uh, we're, <laughs> we're Zoroastrian people. I'll uh, take the Pepsi challenge against Zeus any day of the week. You right, know, our, right. our guy is clearly going to win out, you know? And Pepsi has saved a lot of religions in that respect. No the, doubt. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the one proof could be easily dismissed because there was no evidence for another civilization that could be considered objectively. So when an empire fell, or when an empire took over another group, the winners of the conflict also took that as evidence that their beliefs were correct. Otherwise, why would God have let them win? But there's another uh, pickle in the jar, another badger in the bag. Beyond the abstract here, Matt, I love the point you're bringing up. Let's go to the individual. Let's go to the microcosmic level. What if your God or gods spoke to you? What if at the height of battle or just some random 
you know, ancient equivalent of 4.30 on a Friday in a random day? What if divine forces appeared to intervene on your behalf? What if they chose you as the messenger? What if they tilted the very odds of reality in your favor? Heavenly casino rules where the dealer purposely gives you a blackjack. That's, uh, sorry, Vegas still on my mind. <laughs> oh, it's with all of us. Oh, uh, it's with all of us, man. What, what do you guys say? Should we, should we pause for a word from our sponsors? Have some divine intervention or sponsorship intervention? Yeah, yeah, yeah commercial yeah. intervention. I think so. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Here's where it gets crazy. This idea of an omniscient, omnipotent force touching you specifically, choosing you, speaking to you, giving you a task. This is the definition of divine intervention. The idea that there are certain identifiable situations wherein some ordinarily inexplicable force decides to say, hey, you, hey, you over the Battle of Long Island or hey, you uh, over uh, just just about to go for first chair clarinet <laughs> right uh you're the one and you just need to do actions a b and c uh the, the well, biggest, and it's also yeah. the concept of uh someone being saved in an unsavable situation and position right the the odds work out in your favor yeah something like to go this will be the las vegas example something like hitting on 18 and getting a three. You know what I mean? 
the odds are very low. But in, in the case of divine intervention, to your point, that's a beautiful setup, Matt. Some of the most notable examples are from times of conflict. Oh, sure. You mentioned the Battle of Long Island, um, George Washington. This is You mentioned off mic, Ben, that we recently did an episode of Ridiculous History about uh, Aaron Burr, and some of these battles actually came up, um, these historical battles where, like, the tide turned on a dime, kind of, right? So in the Battle of Long Island— Oh, also, things- Matt, Noel doesn't like Hamilton, the musical. No, no, no. Just as we're say, going I through. Did, I, I, I didn't say that. I said I didn't finish watching it because I got distracted. I didn't not like it. I think it's quite <laughs> remarkable. It's, I'm it's roasting a you a little. I know. Roast yeah. away. It's it's. And you also mentioned, Ben, on the podcast, uh, Ridiculous History episode, the uh, that hype can be a hell of a drug. And sometimes it can be a thing that maybe turns you off a little mm-hmm. bit. I didn't get into the Beatles till I was in my late 20s. I think largely because they seemed like, you know, oh, everybody likes the Beatles. You know, that, they must be kind of square. Um, gosh, I sound like a, a grandpa. But yeah, <laughs> George Washington and his uh, fellows, August 27th, 1776, the Battle of Long Island, things were not going well. They had just signed the Declaration of Independence. But at this point, British forces had George and his uh, mates boxed in, trapped in New York City. Um, they were outgunned, outclassed, outnumbered. They were not trained. Do it, you Matt. Know. Do it, do it, do it. No, I'm not going to. In New York, you can be a new man. That's all I know. I know. That's all I know, guys. That's all I know. Get, give it to us, Matt. Whatever. What's no, the, what's I'm not the, doing it. I can't. I can't. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. We, right. You know how many references we've made to that stuff over the years, just like slyly under the radar? Yes. And I, I, they, and, yeah, <laughs> under my radar, for damn sure. But they were I, outgunned I, and they were outmanned. That's all you yeah. need to know. Okay. 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 Uh, they were outgunned. Outplanned. Man. Out, outclassed, out, you know, foxed, mm. out all the things. It sucks. And it, it wasn't good. Yeah, they were trapped, like I said, boxed in in New York City, um, starving, freezing. The, wait, what is it? The, thi- the, 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 the scent thick. No, that's something else. That's different. That's uh, Sorry, I've only seen the, uh, the intro. Um, there's no escape across the East River. Um, it certainly wasn't a Brooklyn Bridge at the time, and the waters were teeming with British warships. Um, this new American experiment could have ended before it began until dum 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 two weeks later it's august 29th the weather takes what the folks on the ground see as an unpredictable turn for the worst on top of everything you're george washington you're a few weeks into you know this idea of the united states and you're like ah damn it now it's also raining what's going on Fast forward, the rain creates an astonishing fog, what seems to be an extraordinarily convenient fog the next morning. People who are in the fog can, according to primary sources, they can scarcely discern a man from six yards distance. So this is, honestly, this is like classic British pea soup fog, they call it. And the British are stuck waiting for this fog to clear so they can continue whipping the American forces. But over where the U.S. forces are based, the weather's fine. The The weather's okay. They're still starving. They're still really cold. They still don't have guns. They're still outnumbered. But they can see. 
it's like the sad rain cloud that only hangs out over Charlie Brown. <laughs> it's like yeah. localized, right? But think about how horrifying that situation must have been for the British troops, like knowing that there are others around you, but you cannot see anything. Spooky stuff. Gosh. It's like the fear of the open ocean. Do you think, and to that point, Ben, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, mythology or mythologizing of, you know, life at sea, all of that stuff, a lot of the superstitions around that. Do you think, you know, these are all going to have been religious men, you know, do you think they would have clocked at that moment that there was some uh, force at play that was working against them? Maybe in retrospect, Uh, because in the heat of the battle, the idea is to survive right sure and what's that old saying there are no atheists in foxholes that's a good point <laughs> but we, we do talk about psyops though and like spooking armies you know into like fleeing by you know playing recordings of their dead ancestors and stuff i just wonder if somebody in that british crew was like yo there's there's some infernal forces at play that are not on our side quite possibly however the british empire was very much and ostensibly remains a theocracy, uh, even as the population grows increasingly secular in the archipelago itself. But it's a good question. Did anyone look around and say like, oh, no, Admiral George has a fog machine? No, they didn't, (laughs) because fog machines had not been invented. And no one, it's important, no one in these conflicts historically says God is against us. We should surrender. What they say instead is uh, we have to earn it. Right. And there's Mm -hmm. not really a lot of uh, active philosophy in, (laughs) well, there, there aren't active quote unquote, although I hate the term learned philosophers. No one's like, well, what about determinism at this point? What (laughs) time, no time, (laughs) right. Let's try to survive. Uh, This fog is, extraordinarily convenient it is a meteorological lottery because it gives george and the boys george and the gang uh the exact time and cover they need to successfully retreat with the help of aaron burr people don't like to admit it but he helped uh with the help of aaron burr uh and george sneaks nine thousand troops away from the battle into the relative temporary band-aid safety of manhattan since there's not a meteorologist around to ruin everybody's great time with (laughs) with weather and science talk multiple sources later conclude it turns out that yahweh himself that god is a big fan of the united states and they say the same thing again not too many decades later it's like the war of 1812 let's go to that uh, 1814, yet again, the British have the U.S. on their ass. Yeah, they invaded and took Washington, D.C., and they started burning major buildings there. Like, we're talking the White House, the Capitol building, set the things on fire. Uh, and to, oh, for many before of- they go to the White, before they burn the White House, though, they sack the pantry. Yeah. Oh, they all <laughs> they had a big old meal. Yeah. yeah. Do you Just like a supermarket out. sweep kind of situation? Yeah. Kind oh, of. dude. There are, there are primary sources. Uh, there's one, there are a couple books, but one of the major books in here is by George Robert Gleig, G-L-E-I-G. He wrote a book uh, called The Campaigns of the British Army at Washington and, the, and New Orleans in the years 1814 to 1815. 
And it is so crazy to see him describing Washington, D.C. at the time. And it's all all the language is basically like, oh, there was nothing upon which to remark. It was just a few buildings. It's just like literally like there's there are no characteristics anywhere that I can even comment upon. Is that true, though? I mean, like it it wouldn't be what we know it as today. Certainly, like the monuments and all of that, it would have been kind of a lot of temporary type things. Right. Or what what would it have looked like at the time? I'm curious. I'm trying to picture way fewer monuments it's uh u.s still had the new car smell they didn't yeah. know whether it was gonna work oh that's <laughs> that's, that's the other thing he's saying he's like oh this this uh what do you call it? Pan, newborn yeah. this newborn thing and he calls it a commercial society or a commercial country oh, which, is which is really which interesting which is uh the the historical equivalent of a sneak diss yeah, on it's like a sub-tweet. Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. the idea. The idea is like, look at these guys. They're just <laughs> about money. They don't. Yeah, they don't understand our grand mission. Well, yeah. Well, and it, and it literally, he he states like they didn't do anything. They didn't have any plan for when we British troops were going to roll through there. They literally just kind of took off running when we showed up, and we just Savages. burned all their stuff. Unlettered merchants. Ah, yes. Oh, nice. Uh, well, well, so the story goes, they begin burning Washington, D.C. And then very soon after, there is one of those crazy storms like a derecho or, you know, maybe a tornado that rolls through. Alleged. We, allegedly a tornado, but definitely crazy high winds that roll through and torrential rains. And so as Washington, D.C. is burning, something causes all of those fires to go out with this rain, Right. This is like Moses level stuff, y'all. I mean, we're going to get into that in a minute, <laughs> yeah. but that's Wait wild. for it. Wait yeah, for it. Yeah, no, no doubt. It. But it all depends on perspective, right? I mean, it depends on what, like how you're feeling, which side you're on. Like, what does this mean that the storm came through? Because it did kill, at least according to some sources, it killed a whole bunch of uh, British troops. But I've only, I've only seen it officially written that two or a few other British troops actually were killed as a result of the storm, but there were 30 Americans who were killed as a result of the storm, largely due to debris and collapsing buildings. Mm-hmm. And flying oh. cows, twister style. Right? <laughs> oh, no. no, I'm joking, I'm joking. But the flying golden calves. Yeah, there you go. Ball and all that stuff. And, but, uh, or what was that? M1? Moloch. Moloch, thank yeah. you. Um, so, but the craziest thing is that there were a bunch of buildings in Washington, D.C. that were not burned by British troops, but were completely leveled by the storm. <laughs> so so God sort of, does construction, too? Mixed bag. Yeah. God God does mixed demos. Bag. Yeah. Also, also, counterpoint, you could say, you know, if we've got this stormtrooper attitude uh, that is so prevalent in American history, uh, maybe it looks like two British soldiers because they all had the same names. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Maybe it was all, maybe it was Steven like Stevenson, 70 yeah. to 80, uh, George George's and Steven Stevens. But no, you're right, Matt. That's, this is, this is a point that I think is incredibly um, crucial. The idea, the like you could say it's divine intervention because the fires went out, but could you also say, how, how does one explain the damage, the fact that, innocent civilians right not not military members fighting for the 
uh, the forces God apparently supports, they were killed and buildings that were not being burned were not integral to the construction of the United States. Those buildings also got wrecked. Uh, I, I, I don't know. We've got a note here too, to talk about some of the, uh, the guerrilla tactics. Uh, oh, yeah, we don't yeah. do this. It was just a, it's just an aside about uh, it's that same author was talking about a time when his company was marching through a battlefield where British uh, troops had just won a battle against American troops. Uh, I've got it right here. It's, um, uh, it's just a quote. It, it was interesting to me because, again, it speaks to the American Revolution. It speaks to uh, the way people thought about the ordered nature of many things, and especially the ordered nature of war and the rules that are applied to it. So uh, here it goes. Quote, one object, however, struck me as curious. I saw several men hanging lifeless among the branches of trees and learned they had been riflemen who chose during the battle to fix themselves in these elevated positions for the combined purposes of securing a good aim and avoiding danger. Whatever might be their success in the first of these designs, in the last, they failed. For our men soon discovered them, and considering the thing as unfair, refused to give them quarter and shot them on their perches. Yeah, but again, there's 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 yet again this rationalization of less than, right? The, the uh, executing this sort of behavior. Um, I don't know. Look, well, you know how it is. If you don't, them, if you don't like someone, you're going to find a reason to rationalize your dislike. And giving quarter, by the way, is like mercy in a war situation. Yes. Yeah, right? arresting, okay. creating yeah. a POW yes. instead of a body. Got well, it. But I guess to me, the, the the interesting thing is that it the use of the word unfair because mm. there are the rules about the battlefield, how you fought war, how you were allowed to engage others, right? But in this case. These guys are up in trees firing from the firing at them and you know the British troops can't see where it's coming from until they do and then instead of giving them quarter and you know taking them as prisoners they just kill them but just previously in that book he describes and goes in a huge section about encountering a soldier in the bushes who had been shot in the leg and he just describes how the American told him, well, we've been told that you British troops were, will give no quarter. So we also are going to give no quarter. Mm -hmm. And and uh, the author is taken aback by that. So he like picks him up, takes him over to a hospital, gets his leg amputated and, you know, saves him and everything. And, and it's partly propaganda as to, you know, the the greatness of our side when it's a British soldier writing about this kind of thing. But it's also, I don't know, it speaks somehow to the what we're talking about, the way an individual feels like God is on my side and my team's side, right? I'm doing sure. the right thing. Mm -hmm. But in this case, they were unfair, so... Right, because it's it's different when it's you. Uh, human individuals tend to suffer from main character syndrome, aka narcissism, right? I have a reason for doing what I'm doing, and your thing, if it is not my thing, is therefore incorrect. I mean, we could create an entire series about all the purported divine interventions during the heat of war, the angels, 
showing up in World War One in Europe, for instance. Uh, we could talk uh, at length about these things. And I hope there is a podcast doing this because otherwise I'll have to create it. But the, these examples across the world throughout history, they occur and we can see commonalities. In many cases, something strange happened. An eclipse maybe saves someone from being sacrificed or turns the tide of a battle in a culture that does not have uh, technology uh, such that they can understand or predict the passages of the moon or the sun. Uh, a natural weather event like this, uh, like this storm in D.C., a disaster, an earthquake, right? a flood, a wildfire, et cetera, et cetera. What we see also in commonality is that after the event, in retrospect, moments, years, decades later, survivors look back. And if they feel like their team won, they ascribe that event to the hand of the divine. With the benefit of retrospect and with research, it is entirely possible for the more skeptical amid us to dismiss a lot of these as clearly explicable phenomena that were simply convenient to accept and then misunderstood at the time. But still, that's not quite as interesting as the cases of divine intervention, wherein someone claims God said, hey, you, you specifically you, I'm real. I have a thing. I need you to do do me a couple of favors while you're up on earth. And that's where we get to like messengers, prophets. And in the interest of uh, playing along at home, you might be able to predict the next event, our ad break. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. 
we're back. Um, getting to the part of the episode that I think I've personally been very excited to get to is a discussion of prophets and some truly ancient historical stories of uh, divine intervention in battle. Ben, I mentioned earlier that some of these cases of a fog, a, a tornado or whatever, really brings your mind back to biblical times and, you know, Moses and the parting of the Red Sea and all of that stuff. And there's there's a really great article uh, from The Guardian that talks about some research that explains the parting of the Red Sea as being basically just a strong east wind that blew overnight. But of course, in the way that it's dramatized, whatever you believe, we have to acknowledge that the Bible is is dramatized to a certain degree. It probably didn't part right when Moses, you know, lifted his hands. It may have happened overnight, you know, but it's a lot less uh, sexy of a scene when you talk about it that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Prophets, the idea of the individual, right? That is what consumes the human species. Everyone is a protagonist in their own story. And so these uh, concepts of I don't know, even if you look at the news or larger events today, you realize that people want a face on a problem, whether they agree with a cause, whether they disagree with a cause, they want a face they can put on it. And so instead of, for instance, talking about uh, buzzwords like climate change or uh, the further ecological degradation of the planet, the planet's going to be fine. Humans might not, but the planet will be fine overall. Uh, they, 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 they don't want the stats, you know, they don't want the, um, they don't want the studies. They want the Greta Thunberg. They want, they want a face and they can, and they can substitute that in, uh, this practice in literature is called metonymy. Uh, you have a smaller thing that represents a greater idea. People love metonymy even if they don't know the name metonymy they they dig it right that's why celebrities are so popular that's why gods are so popular so the um the most famous instance therefore or instances of divine intervention come from individual accounts of people and about people in the west right now and i would hazard globally Across all the eight plus billion people living today, the most famous uh, the most famous example of divine intervention is Jesus Christ. Under a variety of names, variety of translations, a panoply of perspectives, this one figure, who still remains, to be clear, historically disputed by the secular world, this figure is the most famous example of divine intervention differentiated from other prophets because the Christian faith says this person or this individual did not just get messages from the divine. This person actually was divine, is divine, is of God the divine made, at the very least, right? Is God made flesh. And this belief is so important that denominations of Christianity overall killed each other for what would seem like relatively trivial disagreements upon the nature of this single, this single human godlike individual. There are other incredibly influential prophets successfully created religions or spread the word 
of their divine revelations. The prophet Muhammad, peace be unto him, Moses, as you mentioned earlier, Noel, in every single case, these individuals are tasked with specific missions to spread the capital G, capital W, good word, to save as much of humanity as possible and to free people from bondage in the case of Moses and the miracles. And then there are the more kind of on the ground prophets or messengers who are divinely inspired to pursue uh, secular goals on behalf of a greater purpose. I I would call a lot of these folks um, war priest. Huh. Uh, like Joan like of Arc that. is a war priest. You know, she's kind of a for any D and fellow D and D nerds out there, Dungeons and Dragons nerds. She's kind of a paladin. I think she informed the idea of a Dungeons and Dragons or um, what was it, Matt? Ultima Paladin? Do they have Paladins in Ultima? Uh, well, maybe, and they definitely have them in the Fallout games. Like, there's a whole sect of these armored, you know, suit wearing kind of religious zealot sort of uh, knights of the future. <laughs> Mm hmm. So what is a paladin then in that regard? To my understanding, it is, you know, a military leader that is uh, acting on a message or instructions from God, you know, or it's, it's like a combination priest and general almost. Right. Or at the very least, someone that can command others, you know, by wielding not only weapons of war, but, you know, messages of the divine. Yes. Yeah. In the world of fiction, a paladin is mm, descended from the Western idea of the crusader. Um, but there are many, many other iterations of that in the real world and throughout history. So Joan of Arc, a.k.a. street name made of Orleans, uh, also St. Joan of Arc nowadays, uh, has a very interesting story. She was born uh, in a working class, lower class family in 1412. Uh, by her own admission, she began hearing voices at the age of 12. Uh, and she heard the voices of specific saints, sort of like how uh, Gabriel, the angel, spoke to the prophet Muhammad. She's not... A, immediately hearing directly from God. What she's hearing from uh, are representatives of a divine force, St. Michael, St. Catherine, St. Margaret. She's also illiterate. So there is no primary source of her life written in her hand. She told people about this until she got in trouble. And she said it was saints and other divine beings or intercessors if we want to put a tie on it, who guided her infamous combat strategies. By this time, let's be honest, 1400s, Western Europe, she is not the first person to claim to have heard voices, uh, and claiming to hear voices or demons is a well-established part of the culture in which she was born and later burned alive at the age of 19. But here's the thing, though. If you look at the tactics, if you look at the battles and campaigns in which Joan of Arc participated, it doesn't matter if you believe in God. She was really f***ing good. Uh, <laughs> she was super good. At, at the very least, incredibly lucky. Like, she got shot through the neck with an arrow. She kept going. She had all these fatal wounds she had suffered that would have put anyone else down. Other people died. 
easily as a result of getting shot through the neck. But this Joan of Arc character is 10 toes down. And if you look at her various successful conflicts, it is a a heck of a track record. You can understand why so many people might believe she was divinely inspired. And it does seem that she, at least according to what we have as primary sources and so on, it does seem that she believed she was experiencing messages from beyond. Well, I think that's the difference between someone, you know, on the streets claiming to be a prophet, uh, whether it's in biblical times or if it's in the 1400s or if it's in, you know, 2023. The difference is if there are actions that actually appear somehow on the surface to back up what's being stated, right? I mean, that's why it worked for Moses. That's why he's in, in the books and why he's lauded in the way he is. That's that's why Joan of Arc is, because people watched her take an arrow and then just keep going, you know? Can't argue with the results. I feel you on that one. I agree. You know, but the problem is, you know, think about it. In a time of conflict, in these theocracies, that person is convenient. They rally the troops. Turns out they're good, as Bad Max Fury Road would say. They're good at making war. However... Once that conflict, once that chaos is quelled, these same demagogues become politically disadvantageous. So Joan of Arc outlived her political usefulness. Unfortunately, for the powers that be, she survived all those conflicts that she won. Uh, They would have loved it, I'm sure, if she died tragically uh, at some point. She didn't. She was like the the old uh, Energizer buddy kept going and as a result she posed a threat to the established socio-religious regime so Joan of Arc is arrested goes at a kangaroo court they didn't know what kangaroos were but she goes to a kangaroo (laughs) court and she is executed by the same church she spent her young life fighting for January 9th 1431 they're like this chick is so blasphemous those visions she gets they're not from god they're from demonic forces heretic right right heretic and blasphemy two separate charges uh she get you know law and order 1400s boom boom and then like harpsichord i guess uh no i don't know if the harpsichord was around then do you think though ben that this was largely i mean she was obviously convenient for them when she was out there kicking ass and taking names but at this point she people were starting to believe in her. And I think she maybe posed a threat to the status quo of church leadership where it was like, we can't have this person out there saying that she's speaking to God. That's not good for us. We haven't also mentioned really that, you know, Catholicism for the longest time was largely based on the idea that priests, you needed a priest in order to pray properly because the priest was speaking directly to God who were men. These priests were men. So it it seems to me like this was a great example of an inconvenient person that just needed to be dealt with. Exactly. Again, a demagogue, a rallying cry is politically convenient. Joan is very good at winning wars, but their, their dream, the powers that be, their dream would be to have her conveniently die. Right. And once the chaos is quelled, she becomes a problem for that, uh, for the order of the day, for the socio religious hierarchy. And so that's why she ends up being on trial because she will be a threat to the uh, ruling regime. January 9th, 1431, 
it's kind of like you guys know the trial of Al Capone, right? How Al Capone ultimately did not get convicted on as many crimes. He got convicted uh, due to the IRS, due to dodging taxes. So put in a position where they're going against the people's champ, the 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 church state at the time. They say we're going to get her on cross-dressing. She's wearing dude's clothing, which is a big no-no at the time. The church cannot convince her to confess her crimes because she says, you mortals cannot judge my deeds and actions. God told me to do this, and therefore only God can judge me. So they say, all right, fine, you're convicted of cross-dressing and she's like ah, you got me and then they burn her alive at the stake in 1431 she is like captain america at this point and she's publicly executed 20 years later because this person becomes a folk hero religious authorities come back they say we'll do a new trial now that she's dead and lo and behold they clear her she is posthumously declared a martyr, and nowadays she's a saint. It is virtually impossible to estimate how many other people throughout history have had a similar experience. Like right now, 2023, how many individuals across the planet believe they are divinely inspired or think they're somehow related to God um, or think they're... The idea of being a reincarnation of Christ is always going to be a particularly popular persona. The news reports these folks as lunatics or cult leaders because oddly enough, with the rise of technological innovation, with the democratization of audio and video technology, support for claims of divine intervention have nosedived in comparison to previous eras. So, The question is, what do all these cases prove? They prove you can frame stuff however you wish. Be an atheist. Be a true believer. You can believe that you yourself have received messages from beyond the mortal veil. But no matter what you believe or how we frame things in a given culture, the results are in. The concept of divine intervention has fundamentally shaped human civilization and may well continue to do so but there are a lot of problems like why do so many of these armies appear to have divine aid in one conflict and get their asses whipped in the next one are there multiple divine conflicts or are there like multiple gods that don't agree with each other is there some deistic entity that leaves earth for its own devices and then occasionally checks in or is there only chaos a continual chain of humans desperately chasing resources throughout history obsessed with imagining purpose in a universe with no true captain at the wheel i yield my time teddy stuff (laughs) it really it makes me think of i think there isn't there a video game where there's like different gods from pantheons it's like a fighting game or was that yeah. maybe an ai generated thing it, yeah, it's yeah. Not, it should be yeah. it, is, it is definitely a game it's like a 2d street fighter thing i think that's right yeah. yeah it was great um and we have to look to science right it's the dominant belief system of this age uh there's one honorable mention we have to say uh and that is the god helmet or the corin helmet this thing uses uh weak magnetic fields to stimulate the temporal lobes of the human brain 
And it creates through that stimulation, the sensation of an otherworldly presence. The majority of people who wear the helmet, the God helmet, it's called uh, the, uh, the majority of people wearing that feel that they are in the presence of something divine. So yeah, this is news to me. Um, tell us a bit more about the creation of this thing. Ah, yeah, it's uh, made by Stanley Corin uh, in conjunction with a neuroscientist named Michael Persinger. And what they found was even Christopher Hitchens, noted polemical atheist, tried it. And, you know, that guy never apologized or was never chill. So even that guy had to say, I felt like an irritating thought, you know, I felt irritated because <laughs> uh, he couldn't say he felt he was in the presence of God. The thing is, modern society cannot explain adequately the idea of divine intervention, but can now recreate the sensation to that note about the Pepsi test. And there's this, it, it really makes us think this spiritual conspiracy concept. It makes us think about the divide between science and spirituality. They're answering two differing, distinct, tremendously important human questions. Science attempts to explain how happens. Spirituality attempts to explain why. And a fully experienced life, human beings and human communities need to have some form of both. All the other animals on the planet obsess about the how. Humans uniquely obsess over the why. And that, that might be why sometimes, no matter who you are, you feel like you get this impulse. All of a sudden, you have an inexplicable urge that says, step two feet to the right. Move well, to the left. Too. It's almost a luxury to be able to ask the question of why. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because you have a beat because you're not just so focused on survival all the time that you have that minute to, to think larger about it, to think about what's at the next level, what's at the next tier. Well, I mean, we've had amazing stories told to us from listeners. I'm thinking of one where a, a mother was leaving her daughter at home. She was in her car. She got a couple blocks away and she it, it's related to hearing voices and divine intervention. But she heard a voice say, go back and get your daughter. Don't leave without her. So she goes back, picks up her daughter. And as soon as they take off again, her daughter, who's never had a major seizure, has a huge major seizure in the back of the mother's car. And if she if the mother would have just left her there, she would have had that seizure on her own. Like, who knows what would have happened? And the mom was able to take her immediately to the hospital. Like, that's crazy. That's like, how did that happen? Why did something tell her to go back and get her daughter? Mm -hmm. Was it just her and her intuition or was it divine intervention? Well, um, check out our vibe episode. I think I mentioned on the Hearing Voices episode, the story about the science fiction author, Philip K. Dick, that's um, dramatized. It's also kind of autobiographical in the novel Vallis. He believes that he was uh, shot in the head by a laser from space that he refers to as a god-like presence that gave him information about a malady that his son had that would have killed him if he hadn't acted on it. Wow. And, and the more skeptical would say, yeah, Phil, that is, is crazy. <laughs> uh, well, but yeah. there's, there's, there's this point. Uh, also, I'm really glad you brought this up, Matt. We need to thank the multiple folks who have written to us with uh, your own experiences, fellow listeners, of inexplicable intervention, right? Whether divine or not, something 
that happened, a thought that arrived, a compulsion that arrived that resulted in a better outcome if, if you had not listened to that message from somewhere, even if it's from yourself. Humans act on these impulses surprisingly often. And if nothing appears to happen, humans don't call it a revelation until, that is, you look back and you realize that moment was pivotal. It may have changed the course of events. And then later, maybe minutes later, maybe years later, maybe decades later, you look back, because you always do. You look back and from far enough away, that snap decision may look a lot like the hand of God. And that's, that's where we ended again. You know, we, as we said at the top, we're not here to tell anybody what to believe. Your beliefs are your own. But we do find it fascinating that this has been such a continual thread throughout human history and that so many huge events have hinged upon listening to that little voice, wherever you feel it may come from. I think that's that's it for us, right, guys? We I know mm-hmm. we've gone a little long. Um, maybe we maybe we pass the torch here. Um, you don't have to be divinely inspired to write to us. You can just have some ideas. Heck, you might just have a limerick or a pun. We love all of those. We try to be easy to find online. Conspiracy stuff on X, nay, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Conspiracy stuff show on Instagram and TikTok. Yes, there are other ways to contact us. Sorry, just want to add one thing here before we go to the voicemail. Uh, I I would be interested in hearing more about how God appears, right? Like the mechanisms through which someone is given that uh, message. Because we we talked about hearing sure. a voice. Other times it's, it's burning a, f- a bush. Yeah, it's a physical thing, or it's a it's a we temperature didn't talk thing. About even Joseph Smith, you know, and the angel uh, Morai. Uh, what's the angel's That's great. name? Moroni uh, that appeared to Joseph Smith uh, apparently presented him with gold with tablets that uh, for, caused him to start the Mormon faith. Yeah, or a giant storm on a mountain. I don't know. There, there. It's there, there's interesting stuff there. So maybe write to us and. Or tell us, you know, other mechanisms that we're not thinking about. Our number is one eight three three std wytk It's a voicemail system. you got three minutes. Give yourself a name, and please let us know if we can use your name and message on the air. If you don't want to do that, why not send us an email? We are. The people who read every email you send. We're conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.